All right, hello everybody. Um, I'm glad that you are here. Uh, so today is a very special day. This is going to be our final st studio capture uh, from our end. From this point on, the capture is going to be from our Saturday evening service. So um, it, it's kind of fun to be here to celebrate the final capture. On top of that, uh, the conversation at the end, for the time being, is going to be our final sermon conversation at the end. Uh, there, there are hopes and dreams and creative things that, that, that are going to probably happen in podcast form as far as the sermons go going forward. Uh, and that is about the conversation at the end. So, so tune in following today's sermon to the conversation at the end because it's, it, it's something to be celebrated. It's been fun. It's been great, but there are great things coming. So, so with that being said, here's the sermon. Well, it is so good to be with you, Christ Community. My name is Nate. If you guys don't know who I am, I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, before we begin, I want to give you guys a couple updates on some things that I've shared with you guys, and maybe you guys have seen online. Uh, this last summer has been a very, very eventful summer for our family. Uh, we started a foster care journey a couple years ago, and about two months ago, we got to adopt our foster daughter, Brianna, who is now just our daughter daughter, right? So that's like a big milestone event. Uh, but while we were walking through all of that, our youngest daughter, Carson, ended up in the hospital for several weeks and then had multiple hospital trips after that. Like, it's just been crazy. But the, the reason I bring this up is because I want to let you guys know that through all of these things we walk through, our family has felt so loved by the community we have here at the church. We have felt so cared for. We have felt so served. Let me give you a couple examples. Uh, Pastor Allen who's our senior pastor, he called me uh, about six weeks ago, it was a week before I was supposed to preach a sermon and said, hey, I know everything you're walking through and I know how much you know, energy and time a sermon takes. So I wanna take this sermon from you so that you can focus on being a husband and a father and present with your family. Right, like that, that's huge. Like writing a sermon, this is like a 40 hour process. And for him having all this other stuff to take that upon himself, like I was like, man, that is amazing. And then there are all the people who called to offer us gift cards or to bring us meals or to watch our kids church. We just felt so seen and so loved. And I just want you to know that we love you. We are so grateful to be here, to be a part of this community and I just want you to know like that, that kind of love, that, that kind of care, that is something that I want for each and every one of you, whether you live here in Greeley or you're a part of our extended family and another part of the state of Colorado or the United States, like we want you guys to be a part of a community. We, we want you to be seen. We want you to be heard. We want you to be loved. And that only happens when you're known. And so th there are so many ways you guys can get connected. Uh, you, you can join a group, you can join an online group, a, a small group, you can find a way to serve. Uh, but, but friends, being connected is worth it, right? Because not only do we get to experience life in the good times with people who love us, we, we get to experience it in the hard times as well. Uh, so get connected. All right, enough about that. Uh, we'll go ahead and transition into the message. So a, a number of years ago, I had this opportunity to go to Israel. It was about 20 years ago. And this was an amazing trip. I got to go to so many cool places. But the things that I remember most about this trip, it's not the places that we went. It's the experiences that I had that helped me see these things that Jesus was teaching in a brand new light. And one of those encounters, it actually involved sheep. 
So, so one day we were out in the desert and um, we ran into some Bedouins, right? And if you don't know who a Bedouin is, it's, it's a group of people who have mostly held on to their ancient roots. They're, they're a nomadic people who move from place to place, taking their animals with them and caring for them, right? Their way of life is, is very simple. And so they'll, they'll go to a place, they'll, they'll graze their animals, they'll feed their animals. And then when the pasture is gone, they'll pick up everything they own, right? All their tents, all their animals, all their stuff. And they'll go move to a brand new place and do it all again. Now, when we ran into these Bedouins, they invited us into their tent to drink tea and to eat bread, right? And the reason they did that, they're really big on the hospitality culture out there in the Eastern world. And so we did. And as I was walking in, I noticed that outside of their tent, there was this structure made of very large rocks stacked on top of each other with a gate on front of it, right? There was no roof. It was just basically this square structure. And so I asked them, what is that thing? Right, because I understand how you can carry a tent, but these big rocks, these things have to be really heavy. I don't imagine you're gonna take these from place to place. And then they told me that that was the place where their sheep lived. It was actually called a a sheep pen and it served two purposes, right? First, it, it kept their sheep from wandering off at night. And second, it kept the predators from getting in at night, right? This structure was there to create this safe haven for these animals that they loved and they cared about. So here's why I bring this up. We've been in a series now for several months doing a deep dive into the gospel of John. And in this gospel, the apostle John is painting this picture of the life and teachings of Jesus so that we could better understand who he is and why he came. John is absolutely unapologetic with his message that Jesus is the Messiah and the only hope for humanity. And in the text we're gonna be looking at today, which is John 10, one to 21, Jesus uses the imagery of a sheep pen Right? The, the imagery of a shepherd to help us understand who we are, but more importantly, to help us understand who Jesus is and what he came to do. And what we're gonna find is that what Jesus says here in John 10 is, is really significant. And it's not only significant because of what he says, it's also significant because of when he says it. Because this exchange, it's coming right after this confrontation that happened between a man who had been blind that had been healed by Jesus and the Pharisees who took issue with it. You you can find that all in in John nine, Pastor Allen talked about it last week. Now that whole interaction, it really brought up this question, who is Jesus? Because at the end of the day, that's the question that really matters. That's the question that we've all got to wrestle with. Now the man who had been healed, he saw Jesus for who he was. He was the Messiah. And the reason he came to this conclusion is because he knew that nobody could do the things that Jesus was doing unless they were sent from God. You see, people typically don't have the power to give somebody sight who had never had sight before. But the Pharisees, right? Because Jesus confronted their religious system because he didn't follow their rules and their regulations because he didn't fit into this little mold that they had made for what they thought the Messiah would look like. They rejected him. And instead they said that he was of the devil. Now, Jesus, he was apparently aware of this interaction that had happened. He then in John 10 begins to speak to the religious leaders who are around him. In verse one, he says this, very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, Anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by another way, he is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought them all out, 
uh, when he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them and his sheep follow him because they know his voice, but they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. So, so what Jesus is doing here is giving us a parable and a parable that's basically just a story where somebody uses common language with common illustrations to help people see a deeper truth. And sheep and shepherds and the sheep gate, there was nothing more common than those back in that culture. Now, now it's important going into this thing that Jesus is about to say for us to remember that question that everybody was asking in chapter nine. Is Jesus from God? Is he the long awaited prophet? Is he the Messiah, because what Jesus is gonna say here is actually answering that question. But before we dive into that, it's helpful to know that in the Old Testament, the image of a shepherd being with his sheep was an image that was often used to symbolize the relationship that kind of occurred between a king and his people. That there was a humility about the image, that there was a compassion about the image. Now, honestly, it's, a very different image than what we think about in our world today when we think of a leader. You see, we're, we're more focused on looking for the individual who is strong and dominating and powerful. But back then, the ideal king was pictured as being the exact opposite. Be being a shepherd was a lowly job. It, it was a humble job. There was nothing spectacular about it. But even so, everybody knew that a shepherd embodied the heart of a true leader. And that's what they needed in a king. It's no accident that Jesus picked this image to focus, focus on as he started talking about his own claims to be the king of Israel, the true king. But before Jesus even gets to that, he starts off by using this parable of, of shepherds and of, of sheep. And he's trying to create this common ground with common ideas to create this connection with the religious leaders who are in front of him. Remember the point of a parable, it's always trying to help you understand something that is much deeper. And the first thing that Jesus wants to talk about is true shepherds and false shepherds. That'd be who he calls the thieves and the liars. So, so let's start with this question. Who are the thieves and the robbers that Jesus is referencing here? Well, he, he's probably referring to two groups of people. First, it's the people who are trying to claim the title of leader, of being the one who is sent from God. Like, this might've been uh, one of the many uh, revolutionary leaders in that time. These were the individuals who tried to rise to power and lead Israel into a direct conflict with the Roman oppressors with the only goal of trying to make these Old Testament prophecies about the Messiah come to fruition. If you study this time period, there, there were a lot of people who did this. You've got the Maccabees, you've got the Sicarii in Jesus's own time, right? There were a lot of people who tried to start a revolution to bring the kingdom to earth. But Jesus would say that all of those people were not true shepherds. They were thieves and they were robbers. They weren't looking out for the sheep. They had their own agendas. All right, so that, that's the first group. But, th but there's also another group that Jesus is probably referring to, and, and that's the religious leaders. For, for instance, the Pharisees who were there standing in front of him. This was a group of people who had allied themselves with the Roman empire and they had betrayed their own people in so many ways. Their only ambition was to keep Israel under Roman rule so that they could hang on to their power and their influence and their wealth. These two groups, 
the ones who try to take the power and then the ones who try to abuse the sheep, while they might've said that they were for the people, according to Jesus, they weren't. They're false shepherds, they're thieves and they're robbers. And I think the implicit question here that Jesus is really going after is this. In a world where so many people are trying to claim this title, how can you tell who the real shepherd is? How can you tell who you should really be following? Well, Jesus gives us a, a pretty simple answer to that question. He says that you know who the true shepherd is because the sheep know his voice and they follow it. When I was with the Bedouins, I got to witness what Jesus meant by this firsthand. Uh, after we had finished eating our bread and drinking our tea, we went outside and we saw that the shepherd who was tending the flock out there was bringing them back in as night was approaching. And look, there were a lot of sheep, right? And, and watching this guy, he was in front of them. And as he was in front of them walking, he was calling out to them. Our interpreter told us that this shepherd actually knew all the names of his sheep. And as he called out to them, they followed his voice. They heard it. And because they heard it and because they knew the shepherd, they went where he asked them to go. And, and look, for me, this was crazy because I was outside with a group of 50 of my friends and we were in college and we were loud. We were taking pictures. We were joking, but none of that distracted the sheep. They were so tuned into the shepherd's voice that nothing else happening around them even mattered. All they knew is we hear the shepherd and so we will go where he leads us. Here, Jesus is implying that the, the way you know the true shepherd, right? The way you know the true king, it's the same way the sheep can tell who the real shepherd is when they're out there in the wilderness. They hear his voice, they know his voice, and so they follow his voice. Now, the, the deeper meaning of what Jesus was saying here was lost on the crowd though. And, and we see that in the next verse. It says, Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. So yet again, they're missing the point. But this doesn't deter Jesus from saying what he has to say. He actually then goes on to give some more layers to this parable. And remember, it's all building up to this moment where Jesus is gonna answer that question that everybody was asking in chapter nine. Well, verse seven says this. Therefore, Jesus said again, very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to him. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and they will find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. So now Jesus is gonna pivot a little bit and use this imagery of a, of a sheep gate to help us understand who he really is and what he's really talking about. So first off, he says that he's the gate. Now, now remember the purpose of the gate and the sheep pen was to keep the predators out and the sheep in. It was this buffer from the dangers that existed in the outside world. And Jesus is saying that for his sheep, he is that buffer, he is that gate. And then he says again, that his sheep won't listen to the thieves and the liars who are trying to harm them because they only listen to the shepherd. And then I love this, he makes this promise to those who are his, right? To those who are his sheep, he says that they will be saved. In other words, he will protect them. He will provide for them. He will care for them. He will take them where they need to go so that ultimately they could experience that thing that they were really longing for, which is life. And, and not just like a, like a mediocre life. He says that they will experience life to the full. 
Now remember who Jesus was speaking to here. He's not just talking to the crowds. Everything he is saying here is targeted at the Pharisees, at the religious leaders. These are the people who thought that they were the gatekeepers. They thought that their religious system was the way that people could experience life. And here, Jesus is telling them directly that they got it all wrong. Religion would not be the thing that saved them. The law would not be the thing that saved them. The only way to experience life would be through Jesus and the relationship that he is inviting them into. You see, Jesus is challenging the very foundation on which their whole lives and their entire religious system had been built. Well, in the next few verses, Jesus is gonna make another claim. And this again is answering that question about who he really is. And this claim that Jesus is gonna make, given the imagery that people had in their mind of the king of Israel being a shepherd, it can only be understood and interpreted as a direct claim that Jesus is making to that title. You see, before this, all throughout John, Jesus has implied it, he's hinted at it, but here he's not holding back anymore. He is saying it directly when he says this in verse 11, I am the good shepherd. And then he goes on, he says, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming in, he abandons the sheep and he runs away. And then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. Did you notice the word that he used there in conjunction with the title of shepherd? It doesn't say that he's a normal shepherd. It doesn't say he's an average shepherd. It says that he is the good shepherd, right? That word there, it is intentional. You see, back then when a shepherd was moving a large flock, they would usually have a couple other people who were there to help them herd these animals and just kind of keep an eye on things. These are the hired hands. They would watch for any danger as they were out to pasture, but often when the danger would arise, these hired hands, they'd flee because they'd rather protect themselves and put their own lives at risk. Why? Well, because it's not their flock. And look, we we understand this in our lives, right? There are a lot of things that we're a part of. Maybe it's our our jobs or our, our hobbies and we're really interested in them. Maybe we're even marginally invested in them. And when things are good, when they benefit us, we are there, we love it. But the moment it gets too hard, the moment it demands too much or becomes too dangerous, we're out of there. We're not gonna risk our lives or our health or our well-being for things that we're not fully committed to. But we also know that there are these other things in our lives, like our families or our spouses, that when things get hard, right? When things get challenging, we, we don't, We don't run away from those things, right? When there's danger, we don't flee, but instead, no matter what it might cost us, we actually run towards that thing because we know in the end, it's worth it. You see, in this culture, that's what a good shepherd would do for his sheep. He wouldn't abandon them. He he wouldn't leave them defenseless. Instead, he would stand by them to protect them. He would even be willing to lay his life down for them. And what Jesus is saying here is that that's what he is willing to do for his sheep, right? In verse 10, Jesus says that he came so the sheep might have life, right? That's what he as a good shepherd wants for us, right? He wants good things for us. And then in verse 11, he tells us exactly how far he is willing to go to make sure that happens. He was willing to lay down his life for his people, right? A good shepherd won't give up on his sheep. Maybe you're here today watching this wherever you are and 
That's the only thing you need to hear. All right, to know that no matter what you've done and no matter what decisions you've made or the danger that you presently find yourself in, whether it's your fault or somebody else's, to know that Jesus will not give up on you, to know that he will not abandon you, to know that he is for you and he will fight for you. In the next verse, Jesus goes on to describe more about the kind of shepherd he is. He says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay my life down for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen and I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice and there should be one flock and one shepherd. So, so here Jesus is reiterating something he already said at the beginning of this teaching. He, he knows his sheep and his sheep, they know him. He then says that this relationship he has with those who are his is the same kind of relationship that he has with his father, meaning it's, it's familial. It's not like this servant Lord type of relationship where we're just here to do his bidding and have no actual connection. But instead, Jesus says it's one where there is this deep intimacy and this deep love, right? That is what Jesus is inviting us into. And then again, in verse 15, he references laying down his life. But this time, it's not like the last time he said it, where he's only saying he's willing to do that. This time, Jesus says he's actually going to do that. You see here, Jesus is pointing to the cross. He knows what's coming. And I love this about Jesus, I really do. He was unapologetic in knowing what he came to do. He was never afraid of his mission. He never got distracted from his mission. All throughout the gospel of John, we can see that Jesus's eyes and his heart were set on Jerusalem and the things that he knew needed to happen there for him to be able to accomplish this mission his father had given him, to be able to rescue the people who were his. His eyes were set. And then Jesus says something in verse 16 that I think is really important. And this is something that would have offended almost every single one of the religious leaders who was there. He says that he has sheep who are not of the sheep pen and that he needs to bring them into the fold also. So why is that offensive? Well, in this time, the religious leaders and most of the Israelites in general thought that they alone were the chosen ones of God. That, that in a world of brokenness, they would be the sole recipients of God's favor and God's blessing. And a big part of why they thought this is because they misunderstood the original call that God had given to Abraham in Genesis 12, where God said that he had chosen to bless Abraham and his descendants. And look, that's true. But if you read everything God said, there was a second part of this blessing and this promise. You see, God says that, yes, Abraham, you and your people are blessed, but you're blessed so that through you, I could bless the entire world. So think about that in the context of what Jesus is saying here. He came so that people could experience life. In other words, to be blessed. And he's a descendant of Abraham. And then he's saying that the sheep he's looking for aren't just a part of their tribe. They're not just Israelites. They are a part of every tribe. You see, Jesus is making it clear here that this new kingdom, it's not just for Israel. This family that God is inviting people into, it's not just for Israel. It's for everyone. Now, this would have been 
offensive to those who had been holding on to this old religious system because it was taking this thing that they thought gave them privileged access to God and it was opening it up to everyone, meaning it was opening it up to people that they thought were undesirable, opening it up to the outcasts, opening it up to the people who didn't live up to their standards. Jesus says all people have the invite to join the family of God, just like them. You know, what's so ironic is that this thing that was so offensive to the religious leaders, it was, it was actually good news to everyone else who wasn't on the inside. And church, that, that's what the word gospel means. It means good news. We were lost. We were hopeless, but then the, then the good shepherd came for us. He sought us out and he brought us into his fold. He made us family. He saved us. This, this is good news. Jesus wraps up his explanation of the parable by saying this, the reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. Jesus closes by talking about his unique relationship with his father. And then by pointing out once again about this thing that's coming up by pointing to the crucifixion. This is now the third time that he's referenced laying down his life here in this teaching on behalf of his sheep. It started by saying that a good shepherd is willing to do it. And then he said it a second time by saying that he was going to do it. But, but this time it's different because he's adding something at the end as he points to what comes next after his death. He says that after he does lay down his life, he's gonna take it back up again, meaning death is not gonna hold him. He's saying he's gonna come back to life. Jesus here is claiming authority over his own life. And in this context, I think that is a very significant statement because the religious leaders who were there, they were the ones who thought they had the power. They thought that Jesus's life was in their hands. And yet here, Jesus is telling them it's not. He says, nobody takes my life from me. There's nothing anybody could do to me that the father has not willed and allowed. My life is not going to be stolen. Instead, it's gonna be freely given as a ransom so that others might live. And even after his death, Jesus is claiming to have authority to be able to come back to life. Now, I think with this statement coming at the end of this whole description of the type of shepherd he was gonna be, I, I just, I can't help but get the sense that Jesus is trying to let his followers know that no matter what, he's not gonna abandon them, that he's not gonna leave them on their own. He's telling them that after he lays his life down, he's gonna come back so that he can continue to care for them, to continue to be the good shepherd that they need. And, and I don't know about you, but, but that gives me hope. Not, not just for what happens in the future and our security there, but, but I think this has real implications for the ways that we live our lives today. Friends, Jesus is not distant. He, he didn't do everything he did just so that he could leave us on our own as our shepherd. He is present. He is there in the good times and he is there in the bad times. He is there in the easy times. He is there in the hard times. He hasn't abandon us. He looks out for us. He cares for us. And that's because he knows us and he loves us. 
And maybe you're at a spot in your life right now where you, you just need to hear that. Right? Maybe there's something hard that you're walking through and you just need to be reminded today that God hasn't left you on your own. He, he hasn't said, good luck, figure it out. Come talk to me after. He's actually right there with you. And he will walk with you through whatever that thing is and help you navigate it. He will not abandon you. And look, I'm not just saying this because I think it's true or because I'm a pastor. I'm saying this because I know it's true. This is something that my wife and I experienced in such a tangible way a few months ago when our daughter ended up in the hospital. You know, as, as parents, seeing our little girl hooked up to all those machines, hearing the doctors tell us that they didn't know what was wrong with her, holding her while she cried out in pain as they stuck yet another needle in her arm or wheeled her away for yet another procedure. It was so hard. And in those moments, we felt so helpless. There was nothing we could do to care for her. There was nothing we could do to comfort her. There were nights when we just sat there and like, we, we didn't know if she was gonna make it. But even so, with all the pain and all the uncertainty and all the heartache that came along with that, we, we never felt like we were alone in it. We felt the presence of Jesus. We felt the presence of the good shepherd. He was with us every step of the way, shepherding us and leading us through that hard time, comforting us, reminding us that he is with us, that he is for us and that he was not gonna abandon us. And that made all the difference for how we handled that situation. You know, this whole parable, it gives us such a clear picture of who Jesus is and what he's about. But here's what's fascinating to me, right? Here's what makes it so hard to understand how the Pharisees missed this. Everything that Jesus says here, it wasn't new. Right, this talk about shepherds, the things that Jesus was doing, this was actually something that the people of Israel had been waiting for. What Jesus was doing and saying, it was actually the fulfillment of a prophecy that was spoken by the prophet Ezekiel more than 600 years before Jesus showed up on the scene. And in that prophecy, God is talking about the things that he himself would do one day on behalf of his people. In Ezekiel 34, we find this. This is what the sovereign Lord says. I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. As a shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he is with them, so will I look after my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places where they were scattered on a day of cloud and darkness. I will bring them out from the nations and gather them from the countries and I will bring them into their own land. I will pasture them on the mountains of Israel, in the ravines and in all uh, the settlements in the land. I will tend them in a good pasture and the mountain heights of Israel will be their grazing land. There they will lie down in good grazing land and there they will feed in a rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. I myself will tend my sheep and have them lie down, declares the sovereign Lord. I will search for the lost and bring back the strays. I will bind up the injured and strengthen the weak. I will shepherd the flock with justice. Right, this is what God said he would do as his people's shepherd. He said, I will search for my sheep. 
I will look after them. I will rescue them. I will tend them. I will search for the lost and bring back the strays. I will bind up the injured. I will strengthen the weak. Remember that question that everyone was asking in chapter nine about Jesus? Was he the one they were waiting for? Was he the true shepherd of Israel? Was he the true king? Was he the one who would embody everything spoken about in Ezekiel? Well, not only is Jesus saying here in John 10 that he is, but if you look at everything he has done up to this point, it is fulfilled exactly what God had said he would do. Jesus sought out the Samaritan woman in John 4. He rescued the woman caught in adultery in John 8. He tended to the masses in feeding the 5,000 in John 6. He healed the son of the Roman centurion, a man who was the very definition of being lost in John 4. He healed the lame man, the one who was injured by the pool of Bethesda in John 5. And he strengthened the faith of the man born blind in John 9 as he healed him when he heard the shepherd's voice. Jesus is the true king of Israel. He is the shepherd of Israel. The passage closes by saying this. The Jews who heard these words were again divided. Many of them said, he is demon possessed and raving mad. Why listen to him? But others said, these are not the sayings of a man possessed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Friends, no matter where you're at right now in life, no matter what you're walking through, please know this, if you're lost and in a place of confusion and desperation, take comfort in knowing this. Jesus is searching for you. He loves you. He wants you. If you're feeling hopeless because you're overwhelmed and you don't know how you're gonna make everything work, know that Jesus will look after you. You're a child of his and he wants to provide for you. If you're feeling stuck and trapped because of things that are happening in your life, know that Jesus will rescue you. He's not gonna leave you in that place, but he will lead you to a place of rest. If you're experiencing sickness and brokenness, know that Jesus wants to meet you in that and to heal you. If you're feeling loneliness and despair, know that Jesus wants to care for you. No matter what you're walking through, he sees you. He knows you. Friends, the shepherd is calling out to you. Jesus is calling out to you. Can you hear him? Let's pray. So as as we end this, like we do every week, we want to give you guys just an opportunity to respond and to invite Jesus into the things that you're thinking about and to allow the spirit to lead you and to speak to you. And so there's three questions that I I just wanna put before you and ask you to bring to the Lord. And the first is this. If you haven't yet made that decision to follow Jesus, Have you been hearing the voice of the shepherd lately? He's there inviting you to come to him. Invite him into your story right now and 
Ask him to show you who he is and the things that he wants to do in you and through you. And the second question is this, maybe you're listening to this and you have heard the voice of the shepherd, but, but it's been a while. Hold on to this truth. The shepherd is seeking you out. Jesus tells so many parables about the shepherd who leaves the 99 who are found to seek the one who is lost. This is what Jesus wants to do for you. Ask him to meet you right where you are and to speak to you. Ask him to soften your heart. Ask if there are things that you need to surrender and and a path that you're currently on that you need to, to turn away from so that you can go back to him. Ask him, invite him into your story. And the last question to ask the spirit. And this is for those of you who are following. Just ask Jesus, what is he saying to you now? Where is he trying to lead you? Jesus, you are a good shepherd. And we take comfort and hope in knowing that that you love us, that you see us, that you know us, and that you pursue us. Jesus, we need you. We can't do this life on our own. We don't know where to go. We don't know what to do. And so I ask for all of us, would you continue to be that good shepherd in our life? Would you hold us close so that we don't wander off, so that we don't get distracted? And Jesus, would you help us begin to see the things that you want to do so that we can have more courage to follow you with absolute obedience? And so thank you, Jesus, for loving us and pursuing us and not giving up on us. Pray this in your name. Amen. Hello, everybody. This is our final conversation. Never uh, talking to you guys again. Yeah, this is it. But it isn't it. There are other <laughs> things in process, but it's going to be awesome. So I'm, I'm kind of excited to, to be here. Can I just say something on that? I, don't I am know. just so excited for those of you who have actually been with us in this conversation. There are a lot of uh, you that are here every week, and I just want to honor you and thank you for, for thanking you for bring, being in this journey and to say that we will continue to bring, uh, dream and restructure this conversation in different formats, and you're going to get to know that in the future. So don't worry. <laughs> there will be, be other conversation formats. In this, future. honestly, I enjoy this much more than the sermon. 
It's so fun. I, it feels like a weird thing to say being on the teaching team, but like to be able to talk about it and to talk about the thing behind the thing. Right. right? It's fun. Yeah. So, so what's the thing behind the thing today, Nate? What do you think the thing is? <laughs> Let's start there. <laughs> I so I have some th things I'm I'm dying to talk about. I'm, Let's do it. I'm, I'm dying to talk about the vocabulary of Shepherd, the Old Testament. I want to talk about King David, who historically he he was the, the first to call out God as being the good shepherd, shepherd but yeah. he had been the sh the good shepherd iconically uh, as the king. Um, and, and then we, we think about Psalm 23 yep. and how he composes that almost on his deathbed, um, calling God the good shepherd and God calls David king. Yep. Um, there's a lot there. Oh, that I'm, yeah, like there's like, a lot of really cool well, stuff. Th that was the thing. Like when I was, you know, writing the sermon, I'm like, this, this can't just be about like the biblical theology of a shepherd because that's actually like a no, seminary no, no. class yep. Yep. that would take you 12 weeks of you know, 15 hours a week to be able to get through. There's just so much. I mean, even, it is, this is a little insulting to people sometimes, but like, I, I think the imagery is so incredibly important. Like, have yeah. you ever met a sheep? What? Met have, a yeah, sheep? have you ever met a sheep? <laughs> I have. They're dumb. Yep. Like, yep. sheep are so incredible. Like, so like, even thinking about that lens of like, oh, like, that's so us sometimes. Like, we need this shepherd because without him we're lost. Like, yeah, yeah. I don't know. Which one do you want to hit first? Man, I, I think, um, I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I'm, uh, I get excited talking about the images of who God yeah. is compared to the who images of who yeah. I am. Sure. And, and I don't think that the overall passage is talking about the sheep and That's who are the sheep. Preach on it. Yeah, the <laughs> passage is talking about who is the shepherd? And what is the shepherd? And what does the shepherd do? And, and this, so that's yeah. what I get excited about. How is, is that relevant? Yeah. This yeah. is why I loved that Isaiah, or the, I'm sorry, the Ezekiel, Ezekiel yeah. passage. Uh -huh. Ezekiel 34. Like, God describes the exact kind of shepherd he is. Like, mm -hmm. I'm one who pursues you. I'm one who cares for you. I'm one who tends to you. I'm one who calls out to you. Like, and, and actually, like, that whole entire chapter, it actually begins with, God calling out the bad shepherds of Israel, right? So basically all the religious leaders, all the people who are abusing, it's like, right. you haven't loved my sheep. You haven't cared for my sheep. You haven't done your job. Right. Therefore, I'm getting rid of you and I'm going to come do this thing myself. Yep. And it's like, oh. And, you know, bringing back the passage from John, comparing it to a hired hand, um, that the people in the temple... They're actually hired hands. Well, and, that, and that's who—that's what Jesus is implying, right? I they're know, the like thieves, that's amazing. They're the robbers, like yeah. they are the ones who have not done the thing that they were supposed to do. Yeah. When danger came, when conflict came, when trials came, they abused and used the sheep, and then ran off and never dealt with any of the actual jobs of shepherding and tending to the sheep. Right. right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a great uh, contrast too, because I think you're saying. I don't like talking about who we are. It's about who Jesus is. But I think sometimes the contrast is important so we distinguish. Like, this is not who God is. This is not who Jesus is. It's not how he operates. So I think it's painting this parallel as a contrast. And actually, one thing that I was thinking during your sermon when you say our ownership, right, and when it, something is hard and challenging, 
like with our family and we stick to it. And I'm thinking of times, well, there are times that I failed, there are times I could have done better, you know? And like, even if, even our, like the, the best of us are, the best example that you could come up with, we still fall short, but that's good because that helps me understand how much greater God is and the things that we fall short that he doesn't. You know, when things get hard, he doesn't get intimidated or, you know, he doesn't go away. He doesn't. So I actually thought that that yeah. example made me think like, well, yeah. I still fail, but, but like, he does But like we, we, we at least understand the impulse because like, we're trying to do it. We're trying to show up. Oh we're yeah, trying. no, I totally get the point you made. And then to look at Jesus go, yeah, but you are the good shepherd, right? Like where, where we fail, where we struggle, like you don't. Um, and, and this is why like three different times Jesus referenced his death in this teaching. Yep. And like you notice, he's like, all right, a good shepherd will do this. Well, I will do it. Yep. And not only am I going to do it, I'm going to come back from it. And so like, you know, like, I, I think we have the advantage of being able to kind of look at things with, like, hindsight vision to be like, oh, yeah, that's what Jesus meant. That's what Jesus meant. And then right. that's what Jesus did. And so, like, in light of all of that, it's like, man, like, so if Jesus died, was buried, was resurrected, conquered death, had authority over death, just like he said he did, well, then that's going to give me a heck of a lot more confidence to be able to trust the things that he said he would actually do as the good shepherd. Mm. Because there's so many people who doubt that. We're like, yeah, I believe all this stuff that you did, Jesus, but I don't really believe you love me or I don't really believe you care about me. And I think it was actually the death and resurrection of Jesus that he would point to as proof and say, like, the reason you can trust I'll be a good shepherd is because I'm gonna do this thing here. And so everything that I said mm. before this is now validated because I did this thing over here. Um, like, Jesus never said, I'm going to be a good shepherd, like, as a future thing. I am, yeah. He never said, I was a good shepherd as this past thing. It's going back to that I am language that he's been using yeah. all throughout the book of John, where it's like, no, this is who I am right now in this moment for my people. Well, you just hit the pause button there. Yeah. Um, something, I'm, I'm going to expound on something you said here. You said, here's who he's saying he is in this moment. That's true. But every I am statement that he is saying, it points back to who he has been since the beginning. Yep. Mm -hmm. And that's very important. So it isn't, here's who I am. It's here's who I've been, here's who I am, and here's who I will always be. Right. Because the thing that he's bringing in is this prophetic vocabulary, right? right. Like, I am the bread from heaven. Right. I am the stone that was hit. I am the pillar of fire. Like, I am the good shepherd. I mean, like, and he will continue to do that seven times. Perfect holy number, right? And it's the I am. And mm -hmm. that's... Very cool that he continues through, throughout his gospel to bring up that vocabulary past and uh -huh. the present and future. So the, for the past, was he then pointing back to David? Is that what you're saying? I think so. Uh -huh. Yeah, there's definitely, uh, like, I think when, so. when you think about who he is speaking to, there is definitely some very heavy allusions that are happening there because D David, in a lot of ways, at least, you know, some of these he, he has writers. to he say he's the son of the David, prototype right? like of the he king. Is, uh -huh. He is a son of David. He is yeah. a, a, a kind of that. It's it's like bringing the dynasty of David back. Yeah. Yeah. And even the, the language of David. Not obviously and, saying he's David, but the language of David. Yeah, and on, on top of that, like how David calls 
the father, the sh- shepherd. Right. And for him to say, I, I am, am that shepherd. shepherd. Yes, I am And that. it's like, I'm the one who comforted David. Yeah. I am the one who brought him uh, well, besides still and, and, waters. I am the one, like, that's this, really This is why I think John 10 yeah. is, is really one of the most pivotal chapters in this particular gospel because Jesus has been hinting at who he was all up until this point of like, well, you know, I am the living water, right? I am the bread that came down from heaven. And these are all things where it's like, yeah, this is like, I mean, it's you kind of look at it with hindsight and go like, yeah, that was a claim, that was a claim, that was a claim. But this image of being the true shepherd of Israel, like this is where Jesus just comes out and says it, right? And there's a reason that John 9 and John 10 is where you really start to see the shift happen because up until now, there were a lot of people who followed Jesus that weren't sure about Jesus. But after this whole interaction with the Pharisees, people were only split into two camps. Either right. we believe he is who he says he is or he's got the devil in him. And so Jesus isn't really giving any more opportunity for people to be ambiguous about who he is. He's like, right. I'm, I'm putting a claim in the ground. This is who I am. Right. And so you can either look at everything I've done and look at all the stuff that's come before and say, yes, I believe, or you can reject. And that that's not really like the image I think we get of Jesus sometimes. Like we always kind of think of Jesus being like, oh, I'm buddy Jesus. <laughs> you, you know, and, right. I, like, and I get that. Like Jesus is also very direct at times. Right. And he's yeah. like, Look, my sheep know me, yep, and they follow. Mm-hmm. It's very clear. And I mean, he's been doing that since John seven, yep. right? Like he's been talking about those who can hear me can hear me. Those who can't can't. Those who can see me can see me. But those mm-hmm. who can't can't. If uh, he he brought up that pathetic vocabulary of of uh, the people who don't. Kn- know me forgot who Moses is if you don't know yeah. him you don't know me and so he's dividing these camps right. you know truly of and then he goes on the whole the Abraham thing right yep. so, so so if you you truly are a son of Abraham you would, it would be obvious and so chapter after chapter he's been he's just been like kind building of, he's telling the truth yeah. uh, uh, well, that if you are a good Two, it would be obvious that you would know who I in was. A, sorry, it never hit me until now when you said that, that the um, there was the blind, the one who doesn't see, the ones who see, and now it's the one who listens and who doesn't listen. Yeah. Well, and so, so, like, I'm thinking about this, like, for us today. Um, me too. <laughs> and, and, no, like, like, legitimately, like, okay, so then, like, how do we live as, as Christians in the world today, right? Um, because I know a lot of people... And, and like, bless their hearts. Like, a lot of their energy is spent on trying to convince people that Jesus is real, right? And that, that's basically called apologetics. And I think apologetics is very valuable, and I think it's got a place to be able to reason and rationalize and think through some of these things. But when you look at Jesus, the thing that helped people see he was the shepherd, it was the way he loved. It, it was the, the way he cared for people, right? You know, it's like, here's a blind guy. I'm going to heal the blind guy. Like, here's a woman everybody's going to kill. Like, well, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to condone that. I'm just going to step, step in. And I'm going to bring value to her. And so just going like, all right, so like for us in the world today, if it's not up to us to make people hear the voice of the shepherd or not, right? That That's Jesus. That's his job to call out to people. What do we do? Well, why don't we love people the way Jesus did? Or, okay, hold on. I'm just trying to walk through this. So so I'm going to kind of contradict that because it's going to be fun. (laughs) Because 
it's the perfect time to interject, here's the point of the sheep. Mm -hmm. The point of the sheep and the point of the shepherd. The point of the sheep is... Be a sheep. They give themselves the opportunity to be a sheep. They don't pretend to be the shepherd. And to, to give ourselves the opportunity to be a sheep and to be adored by him, fought by him, fought for by him, protected by him, to yeah. show I can be a sheep instead of I have to be a shepherd. I think that there's a lot of people out there pretending to be shepherds to prove there is a shepherd, mm. and it causes a bunch of bigger problems because they mm. actually aren't the shepherd. That's what I'm saying. You just said it in a much more poetic mm. way. And so instead of us going out there being like, we, we've got to go do all this stuff, we've got to, it's like, no, like, let, let's be here. Bring in Psalm 23 again. Let's it's, love people. It's he is the good shepherd. He brings me beside still him. waters. He mm -hmm. brings me, like, peace. Like, he had his staff and his rod, they comfort me. It's not, so I have a staff and rod to bring to comfort to people. I bring people beside still waters. This is what well, and, and honestly, like, mm. when, like, I don't know if you've encountered people like this, but, like, when they're either walking through a hard time, a crazy time, or something like that, and you just see, like, they got peace in this thing that should overwhelm them, that overwhelms everybody else. Like, it's not. Right. Why is that? Well, now you got to do is, I got a really good shepherd. <laughs> you know, like, I I'm a shepherd. That's a, that's a yeah. powerful testimony. Right. Um, yeah. Man, it'd be fun to do a whole sermon series on this shepherd. KJ would very much like that. Dude, you'd be so good at that. Uh, going into Hebrew theology, that'd be beautiful. It'd be fun. That's good. All right. So is so. There's a ton of things to unpack here. You have the images of shepherds. You have uh, Psalm 23. You have the content that 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 was brought up during the sermon. Uh, you have the idea of sheep. You have the idea of the identity of Jesus. You have the seven I am statements. You have everything. Um, go have fun. Talk about it. Pass this on. And um, I'm going to sign off. And uh, I hope that you... Oh, I'm going to cry. I know. <laughs> we love you. It's over. <laughs> have a good one. <laughs>